Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you all for your giving. God blesses those who are generous. Just saying. He is awesome. Isn't our God awesome? Yay. Well, I am excited to be here tonight, getting to do something a little different than normal. Um, Pastor Bardwell has bravely allowed me to speak to you tonight. So pray for me, pray for him. <laughs> uh, no, pray for them because hopefully they're having fun right now. And we want them to be safe and have a great time and come back refreshed. All right. Well, I'm going to pray first. That's always a good start. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just praise your name. I pray that I will glorify you, that I won't say anything I shouldn't, and that I'll say everything you want me to say. Lord, help us to just learn from you tonight and uh, become more like you. Uh, I pray that you'll bless the people who hear this, Lord, and that they can take something out of it that they can use. I love you, Father. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So... The title of my message is Nightmare on Thought Street. <laughs> Ooh, that sounded kind of cool. <laughs> I don't do that very often because, it well, I could lose my voice if I did that very often. But um, the hope is that if you live on Nightmare on Thought Street, that tonight maybe you'll realize that it's time to move from there to Pleasantville, where life is but a dream. And uh, hopefully I'll get you some tips that will help you do that. Um, and that you'll learn how vital it is that you just trust God with your life. Um, it's, we all fear and we all, you know, sometimes we fear and we don't trust God like we should. You know, and if you spend much time with me at all, and I know I can probably get an amen on this, I talk about thoughts a lot. Because God has done a lot in my thought life. I used to be roller coaster. I used to, you know, I was real sweet sometimes, and then I was real ah, sometimes. And so thoughts can change that. <laughs> you don't want to see that, Karen. Hopefully, you know, she doesn't come out very often. But uh, I don't apologize for talking about thoughts a lot because it will change your life. If you want to live in hope, peace, joy, satisfaction, we've got to watch our thoughts, and we've got to trust our God. Our thoughts are the key to this. You're going to win or lose at life in your thought life. And it's vital to keep your thoughts headed in the right direction because wherever your thoughts are headed is where you're headed. We don't want to go to crazy land. I've been close before. And I don't want to go there. Uh, I'm very passionate about this. Again, it has made a huge difference in my life. Okay, so the first scripture I want to share with you is John 14, 1. Jesus said, do not let which means do not allow, which means do not permit, which means you have control over it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. I've been guilty of letting my heart be troubled. Allowing my thoughts to just run wild wherever they want to go, not taking them captive and making them obedient to God's word, which God's word tells us to do, right? Okay, so have you ever woken up from a nightmare and felt like it was so real and you're like all sweaty and you're scared and but you know it's a nightmare but you still are all scared and it, okay have you ever I really hate these have you ever dreamt about someone you love maybe a spouse or a brother or a sister or a friend and you dreamt that they did something really horrible 
to you, and you woke up so angry with them, even though you knew that was really kind of stupid because they really didn't do anything, but you don't want to talk to them for like a week because of, your, of a dream you had? I've done that. <laughs> okay, so have you ever had a daymare? It's like a nightmare, but it's, you're wide awake when it's happening. Has, has anybody done that? I'll bet we've all done that. A thought pops into your head. You can't control what thoughts pop into your head, by the way. But you can control what you do with those thoughts. We want to get the bad ones out, okay? So a thought pops into your head, and you just roll with it. You start seeing all these horrible scenarios. They keep getting worse and worse and worse. You're getting, you know, fearful, and your body gets all tense, and your heart starts beating, and your, your blood pressure rises, and you, you want to run, but you don't know where to run. And you just don't know what to do. You just know this thing is about to pounce on you. But all the while, you're allowing that to happen in your brain. You're torturing yourself with your thoughts. Been there. Don't want to do it again. <laughs> we all have a movie screen in our head. When we're thinking about something, we're picturing it, okay? So we all have mental movies going on most of the time. And I want to know, what does your usual mental movie look like? If I were to give you the two titles, Nightmare on Thought Street or Life is But a Dream, where do you land most of the time? If it's Nightmare on Thought Street, let's change that tonight, okay? I used to live there a lot. Or sometimes I would vary between the two. But we want to get to Life is But a Dream, and you can do that. You have control of your thoughts. I was about 30 years old. Yeah, I'm about 32 now. <laughs> Joking. Okay, I was about 30 years old when I realized I was supposed to guard my thoughts. And I was supposed to keep track of what's going on up there and control it. I never even knew that. And that's why I was always like this. Okay, so we're, we have the capability to do that. Okay, so I'm going to share with you an old recurring nightmare on Thought Street. Mental movie gone awry that I used to deal with almost every Monday night. This was my husband and I. It was early on in our marriage. We lived over in Blackwell. We came to this church, and um, we were in the old building. We had a gymnasium, and my husband loved basketball. The guys played basketball every Monday night. Can I get an amen, Corey? Um, <laughs> and Brian would call the guys and make sure they were going to show up because he loved it. I mean, anniversary, basketball. I mean, it didn't matter. He had to be ill to not go to basketball. Or there had to be something going on at church that would keep him from doing, okay? So, and then after basketball, he would usually go out with some of the guys. And they were, you know, Christian guys. They were good guys. Um, maybe go out and get a Coke or something. Or he'd go over to one of his friend's house. And he never would tell me when to expect him home. And so... I had to go to bed early. I was working over here at Conoco. I had to be here early in the morning. So I would go, I would go to bed before he would get home. And, but many times I would allow myself to go through this mental nightmare. He couldn't just call me with a cell phone. We didn't have cell phones at that time. So, so now showing Pastor Karen's former old recurring nightmare on Thought Street. Okay. So it usually starts with a bad case of the what-ifs. Anybody ever had a bad case of the what-if this, what-if that? I'm getting more and more depressed. Well, okay, so picture it. What if 
Brian's driving home in the dark. See, I'm home all by myself, and I'm picturing this. He's driving home. I don't know which route he has taken. A deer has pounced out on the car and jumped on his, the roof of his car or the hood of his car. He slams on the brakes. He skids. He swerves. He, he, the car goes, you know, careening off into a ravine. He, he ends up upside down in the car, stuck in a seatbelt that he cannot get out of. He's suffering horribly, all alone, bleeding and battered. I don't know where he is. It just keeps getting worse and then dead after he suffered a long, long, long time. And I don't know where he is. Okay, that, I would let myself just go there. Why is it that our what-ifs go negative? Why? We just naturally go negative. Now, the reality check of that is this. He was actually having a great time. He would come home in a great mood. He'd had a good time with his friends, and he was just fine. Meanwhile, while Brian's having a good old time, I had allowed my mind to take myself through this horror flick, and I'm torturing myself with my thoughts. Torturing myself with my thoughts. Think how ridiculous that is, but we do that to ourselves. Getting myself all worked up, I've allowed myself to be troubled, to say it lightly, all for nothing, all for nothing. I'd cause myself all kinds of stress and anxiety. I was angry at Brian. He comes home in a great mood, and then I'm like, ah! And so then he's having a stressful time, and I've just totally undone the good time that he had. I was, I was losing sleep. Then I would be tired at work for the next few days, and you don't want to see me tired. You just don't. I try to get my sleep. Can I get an amen from my family back there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to see me tired. They want me to get my sleep. No, I'm pretty good at controlling myself most of the time, but still, I know I need my sleep. And so then it starts affecting my coworkers because I'm a crank at work and I'm not any fun to be around. It does not just affect me. So your thought life does not just affect you. You may think so. That's not true. Our thought life makes us act a certain way. And if we're having nightmares in our thought life, we're probably not a lot of fun to be around. Just an FYI. <laughs> okay, so all of this would happen because I did not choose my mental movie carefully. I did not obey God's wisdom. I didn't take my thoughts captive, and I did not trust God. I would often tell Brian that I worried about him. I'm worried about you. And he would just say, don't worry about me. Well, that just made me mad. <laughs> that did not make me stop worrying. <laughs> but I used to worry a lot, by the way. I come from a long line of worriers. But the Bible tells us not to worry or be, or be anxious about anything. I personally, for me, believe worry is a sin. Now, you may not think that worry is a sin, but I tend to take things kind of literally, and I just really don't want to be wrong. And so I just assume worry is a sin since God says several places not to do it. Um, and so I do my best not to worry now. Unfortunately, sometimes I fail. And so with my mental nightmare, my weekly mental nightmare, um, I eventually realized Brian was not going to change. <laughs> my begging, my pleading, my crying, my crazy, it did not make him want to change. So if I wanted to keep my sanity and my peace and my joy, I had to change my thinking. You can choose your mental movie. 
You have the power. So my response then changed to, well, I'm just going to go to bed and go to sleep. If an accident happens, you end up in a ditch somewhere. You'll just lay there until somebody finds you. (laughs) But I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I really probably didn't have the best of attitudes when I was saying that. But he was like, awesome. (laughs) And I did actually start sleeping better. But what if I got a good case of the what ifs? A good case of the what ifs. What if I used my imagination for good instead of for evil? Most of the things we worry about never happen. It's the things you don't worry about that will pounce on you unexpectedly. So you just will not waste your time. It's just mental and emotional anguish for no good. So let's just stop the madness. Because that, whatever you're worrying about, is probably not going to happen. It's something else. It just will hit you blindsided because you're not even going to think of it. Okay, so let's flip the script on our thoughts. Let's, um, let's go with a positive what if. What if I... If I thought positively. What if Brian has a great time with his friends? What if he gets some good exercise and stays healthy? What if he makes some new Christian friends? What if his life is more exciting and fulfilling because of the time he spends with his friends and gets to play his very favorite sport in all of the world? What if God's trying to teach me something? By the way, God is always trying to teach you and me something. Always, always. So it's a good idea to just stop every once in a while and say, what are you trying to teach me here? Because I don't want to go around this mountain again. I want to learn it fast and move on. What if I spent time deepening my relationship with God? What if I learned to trust God? What a novel idea. What if I learned to trust God like he says to do in his word with Brian and with everything? What if I go to bed and get a great night's rest and I wake up refreshed and I am a joy to be around instead of a monster? (laughs) And the people say, amen, (laughs) right? Ah, life is but a dream. Okay, so now let's go to God's word. So we're going to go to Genesis 26 and we're going to read starting in verse 1. We're going to talk about Isaac and Rebecca, talk about some um, mental movies that they had. Now, their movies weren't actually invented until the 1890s, but they still had mental movies going on in there. They just didn't know what to call them. Okay, so it says in verse 1, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. Of course, Abraham is Isaac's daddy, right? Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Remember that name, King Abimelech. In Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. That's why he was blessed, because of obedience. Obey God, you get blessed. Okay, verse 6. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked Isaac about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, he had a mental movie, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is hot. She is beautiful. So Isaac was afraid. Isaac thought. Nothing in the Bible tells us that God said to say Rebecca was his sister. 
When we're afraid, sometimes we throw rational thinking out the window, right? We don't guard our thinking on purpose. If we don't do that, we're probably headed for a mental horror movie. I wonder what would cause Isaac to fear for his life. Maybe it was how the men were asking about Rebecca. Maybe they were speaking in a lewd or lascivious nature. Hey, who's the hot chick? Hey, baby. I don't know. Or maybe they were coming up and they were towering over him and showing in them, you know, showing their swords and saying, I've been looking for a good woman and that one's pretty beautiful. I think I want, you know, maybe it was something like that. I don't know. Maybe it was just that um, Isaac was good at jumping to conclusions. FYI, if you jump to conclusions, bad idea. Usually you're going to be wrong and you're going to drive yourself crazy jumping to conclusions. So maybe... Isaac could have won the first Olympic medal in the long low jump, assuming he knew what those men were thinking, assuming he knew what they would do. So what might have been Isaac's thought process? The Bible tells us Isaac was afraid. Usually when our thoughts spiral out of control, it's because of fear. Did his thoughts go from immediately from, um, you know, I'm afraid to they're going to kill me? I'm afraid to, I'm dead. I would assume there were probably some plot twists in between there. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there was probably some mental movie dialogue going on. So let's just, let's just imagine what he might have been thinking. So let's just say he and Rebecca, they're riding along on their camels. It's a beautiful day. Isaac starts thinking, wow, look at my gorgeous wife, Rebecca. I can't believe she's my wife. So far, so good. Very positive. Then Isaac says, you know, she is the most beautiful woman in all the land. Nay, all the world. How did I get a wife like her? You know, I've seen the way other men look at her. They envy me. They can tell she's way out of my league. Kind of makes me proud. And yet, what if these men envy me so much that they want to take my wife as their own? What if they want that so badly that they're willing to take her by force and beat me up? Kidnap her? Wait, if they kidnap her, they're not going to want any witnesses. Then they might kill me. Dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? I must come up with a plan. I'm dead if I don't do something to stop this. Hmm, hmm, hmm. If the men think I'm her brother and not her husband, then they might let me live. I'll tell them Rebecca is my sister. Yes, that's the only sensible way to handle this. Sensible, really? Okay, that story came out of my imagination. But it just seems like there has to be something going on there, right? Okay, let's go back to the real story. So Isaac told Rebecca, told them in, Rebecca was his sister, in verse 8, it says, when Isaac had been there a long time, a long time living the ruse of being brother and sister. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you tell me she's your brother? Isaac said, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of my men might have slept with your wife and brought guilt down on us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife will surely be put to death. So Isaac's runaway thoughts, 
his mental horror movie caused Isaac to fear and then lie to the king, caused them to have to sneak around and hide their marital status for a long time, the Bible says. It caused the king stress and frustration. Imagine his thoughts when he looked down and saw that. Ew, that is not, brother, sister, appropriate behavior. Wait a minute. Maybe that's his wife. How dare he deceive me this way? God could have rained down fire on us. Now, next to this, uh, in my actual hard copy Bible, do you all have a hard copy Bible at home? I do. Out in the margin, I had written, like father, like son. So I thought, hmm, maybe I better go read about Abraham and Sarah. So I went back to chapter 12 of Genesis. And this is, we're going to read chapters 12 through 20. You got all night? (laughs) No, we're not going to read that. I'm just going to summarize it for you. So back in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, 4 tells us when God promised that Abraham was 75, Sarah was 65, they had zero children. Ages 65 and 75, zero children. God tells them, I'm going to bless, you're just going to have all kinds of descendants. That doesn't make sense, right? Okay, so there was a famine and they moved to Egypt. And Abraham tells Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. So say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. I wonder, is that something that happened a lot back in Bible times? They just, you know, a man would see a a beautiful married woman and just take her and kill her husband. Why would they both go to that? Um, But like father, like son, they both used the same trick, and it was spurred on by fear of death because their women were beautiful. Mental horror movies. I wonder if Abraham and Sarah had told Isaac and Rebecca that story before they did their brother-sister ruse. I don't know. It doesn't say at all, though, that God told them to do this. Abraham said, say I'm your brother so that I'll be treated well for your sake. So maybe it was because at least if he was alive, he could kind of protect her. But if he's dead, she would have no protector. Maybe. I don't know. But were were Abraham and Sarah trusting God? It doesn't appear that they were to me. And, you know, God had just promised them that he was going to make Abraham into a great nation. Had they forgotten all about that so soon? Fear? sometimes make us de- makes us desperate, and desperate people often make poor choices. So Sarah had asked Sarah to say, we're brother and sister. So they arrived in Egypt, and the Egyptians saw Sarah, and they saw that she was very beautiful. She's 65 years old. Pharaoh's officials told Pharaoh all about her, and the Bible says she was taken into his palace. Pharaoh treated Abraham well because of her, and he, he gave him, you know, sheep, all kinds of livestock and servants. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham, and he said, what is wrong with you? Why did you say she's your sister when she's obviously your wife? Who does that kind of thing? Take your wife and go. So they left. Now, we get to Genesis 16. Abraham and Sarah have been in Canaan 10 years. So by this point, they should be Abraham's 85, Sarah's 75. They still have zero children. It's been 10 years since God's promise. Sarah had a mental movie about how she could help God fulfill the promise. 
Genesis 16, 1 and 2 says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham said, "Uh, okay. So beware the eyes, though. Notice she was trying to build a family. She, I. When you're thinking I rather than God, you're about ready to get in trouble. That's a great way to start a mental horror movie or a real-life horror situation. So Sarah took her slave. Hagar gave her to Abraham as his wife, and he slept with her, and she conceived. Oi. How could Sarah think this could end well? How? How? I, I would think she's probably imagining it somewhat like this. Hagar's my servant. She'll always be beneath me. I will always have the love and respect of my husband all to myself. And the child she bears will be mine and Abraham's, not hers. And that child's going to love me best. Abraham will love me all the more because of my great idea and the son that I have given him through Hagar. I will have saved God. And by making his promise come true. All because of my brilliant idea. And we all lived happily ever after. Not really. In reality, here's what happened. Genesis 16 says, Abraham married and slept with Hagar. She conceived. When Hagar realized she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarah. How can you invite another woman into your house and give her to your husband without elevating her status, right? Then Sarah blames Abraham. Genesis 16 says, she said, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant and she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Isn't that just the way we are? We do something, you know, kind of ridiculous or foolish. It turns out badly, shocker. And then we look for somebody else to blame. Notice the Bible, it really did not say that they consulted God about any of this harebrained scheme that they had going on. And a side note to the ladies, really, we need to be careful what we ask of our husbands. We need to be make sure we're consulting God and pleasing God and not manipulating our husbands because they want to please us, or they should. They should. But they are the head of the household, and they have the ultimate responsibility for what goes on and the accountability for the household. Um, You know, same thing for husbands, though. You shouldn't manipulate your wives. God doesn't like us to be manipulators, period. We shouldn't be trying to push our way through or finagle a way to get our way. God does not like that. God does not like that. We've got to watch our motives because God watches our motives very carefully. Okay, so Sarah in Genesis 16:5, may the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham responded, well, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you think best. And so she mistreated Hagar. But Hagar had bore Abraham a child. He named him Ishmael, but this was not the promised child. So 13 years later, Abraham's 99, Sarah's 89 by this time, Genesis 17. Uh, God says, Abraham, God says to Abraham, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then I will make my covenant between you and me, and I will make you increase greatly in number. I'll make you the father of many nations. Nations and kings will come from you, and Sarah will surely give you a son. She'll be the mother of nations, and kings will come from her. And Abraham fell down laughing. It says he fell face down, as a matter of fact, laughing. He said, will a son be born to me at age 100? And Sarah, she's going to have a child at age 99? And God said, yes, your wife Sarah will bear you a son about this time next year. 
and you will call him Isaac, which means he laughs. So, but they still have the, they have the promise. They still have no children. Now, Genesis 20, Sarah gets taken again at age 89. She must have been really gorgeous. I'm just telling you, at age 89. So Abraham and Sarah moved around. They ended up staying in Gerar. Abraham, again, referred to Sarah as his sister. And King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and took her. Now, I assume this is probably the father of the other King Abimelech, but maybe it's the same one that took Rebecca too. I couldn't find the answer to that. Same name, same place. So I'm guessing it's either the father of or the same guy. And, you know. So, again, Sarah, she just must have really looked good. So God gave King Abimelech a real nightmare. And he said to him in a dream, You are as good as dead because of the married woman you have taken. Luckily, Abimelech had not gone near her. And he explained to God, Hey, they lied to me. They said, Brother and sister, my conscience is clean. And God said, Yeah. I know that, duh, I see everything. I have kept you from sinning against me. I didn't let you touch her. Now return her or you'll all die. So then King Abimelech confronted Abraham and he said, you, you have done things to me that should not have been done. What was your reason? And Abraham replied, well, I said to myself, I had this mental movie going on. I got to thinking, there surely is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. We're not even going to go there. The king brought livestock servants for Abraham, and he returned Sarah. And so the favor of God must have been with these guys, obviously, right? Because the kings just bless them anyway, even though they've been deceived by these people. So what can we learn from these examples in God's word? Well, God allows us to see that even Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca were human. They were not perfect. Good news. All humans do stupid things sometimes. I feel a lot better. How about you? <laughs> we're not alone. Yet God was still faithful to his covenant. He gave them favor. God still used Abraham and Isaac, even though they made some poor choices. And he did make them into many nations, just as promised. And our King Jesus came through their lineage. That's awesome. Amen? So what else can we learn? Mental horror flicks. Let's avoid them. How do we turn Nightmare on Thought Street into life is but a dream? Now listen, this is gold. If you're living on Nightmare on Thought Street... Pay attention because this is good. It will help you. Um, we got to pay attention to what's going on in here. You can't control what thoughts come in, but you can control what happens to them. You can get those out of your life. You got to think about what's going on in your mind. Colossians 3 2 says to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, also. Our thoughts are where we are going to win or lose. Don't allow your thoughts to run rampant. You will be taken hostage by those thoughts. You take them captive instead. Train your thoughts to go in the right direction using God's word. If your thoughts are wrong, you can get out your mental channel changer just like you change the channel on your TV. If you're paying attention, you can change what you're thinking about. The second thing, remember, you have the power to choose what you focus on. Whatever you think about, whatever you focus on gets magnified 
it gets bigger. Whatever you magnify, you're going to get more of. You have the power to choose which mental movie you watch. Flip the script on your what, off, what ifs. Go positive instead of negative. Do it on purpose. What if we add God into the mix? What if God truly is who he says he is? What if he's a, God, a miracle working God? What if he is fighting my battles? What if everything with God is possible and nothing is impossible? What if God? That's a great way to think. 2 Corinthians 10.5, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and expel all wrong thoughts. You've got to be thinking about what's going on, and that is an active thing. That is an active thing that we have to do on purpose. God's word says to guard our hearts. Again, that's an action that you do on purpose. Three, fill your mind with God's word. Study it. Memorize it. And if you have problems with your thoughts, look up scriptures on mind, thoughts, think, and memorize those scriptures. The Bible gives us all kinds of help, and God wants us to live in peace and power and joy. You can read things like Psalm 34. The whole chapter is great, but here are just a few excerpts that are encouraging to me. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I really like this. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Turn from evil. Seek peace and pursue it. That's an active thing. Seek peace and pursue it. The Lord delivers the righteous from all their troubles. Thank you, Lord. We may have troubles, and we will have. The Bible promises we will have troubles. But it says also he can deliver us from them all. Number four, choose to trust God. It's a choice, an active, on-purpose choice to say, I don't know what's going to happen here, and yeah, I'm trying to not be afraid and not worry, God, I'm just going to trust you with this thing. And sometimes you have to do that over and over and over and over again because those thoughts keep coming in. But the more you do it, the better you get at it, and you will win. You just can't give up. You have the power to choose. Do not let, allow, or permit your hearts to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. And this choice to, cho to trust God brings peace. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast or stayed on thee, it says in another version. Because they trust in you, that's where we get our peace, trusting in God. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. And then ask God for help in all of these areas. And then repeat those steps over and over and over again. Think about what you're thinking about. Pay attention to what's going on in here. Remember, you have the power to choose. Change the channel when you're thinking wrong thoughts. Fill your mind with God's word, and the Holy Spirit will remind you of those scriptures when you need them. Choose on purpose to trust God. Ask God for help. Repeat. Okay? That's how. It's, it is a battle, but that's how you win. So what will be your, the title of your future mental movie? I don't care about the past, but no more nightmare on, the th on Thought Street, right? Let's choose life is but a dream. Let's do the, the work that we have to do to get our minds under control because God wants us to live in peace, in joy, in satisfaction, in power, in hope, in trust. That's God's plan for us. And I pray that everybody here, if you're not already there, that you will take these steps in the future because it is so worth it. It's hard work, but it is so, so worth it.
All right, that is all I had. So I'm just going to pray for you guys, and then we're going to let you go. But if anybody uh, needs prayer about anything, if you're having, you know, if you need a better thought life or uh, you, so that you can win at life, or maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you don't need Jesus for sure. Come and see me if you don't. Um, if you have another need, come and see me. I'll have a few minutes up here. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then I will let you all be excused. Heavenly Father, I bless your holy name. I thank you for this time tonight. And Lord, I pray that someone uh, learned something or remembered something or was encouraged by this word tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to all take control of our thoughts, our mental movies, your way, that we won't. We sure hope you were blessed by Pastor Bardwell's message. Join us anytime at pcachurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.